the vast majority of us have found ourselves sitting in front of a television and watching these crazy reality TV shows and saying, these people are nuts. They're insane. Why do they act like this? Well, they only act like this because the camera's on them. That's the only reason why. But one of my favorite ones that drives my wife crazy on Friday nights, which one she just said, don't do that. Alaskan Bush people. Yeah, Shaney is Gold Rush. Anyone watch Gold Rush? Any Gold Rush fans? Yeah, Jimmy. There we go. But one of the things about Gold Rush that, that gets me so excited is, is that my, my grandparents were jewelers. Matter of fact, the reason they became jewelers was because my grandfather was a pastor. He was a pastor at Bethany Church when Bethany Church was in Patterson. And what he had done when he left being left the pastorate, he wanted to be a missionary to American Indians. So he used his jewelry as his tent-making company. Um, that's a Paul expression, St. Paul's expression. He used that as a means to get onto reservations, and he would bring jewelry from there, bring it to the East Coast, and he would sell it. So from the moment I was born, I always had jewelry around me, and I never fully got it. But it's so interesting that after 9-11 hit, there was one precious metal that became of extreme value, and that was gold. And it's so funny to watch this show, The Gold Rush, because the whole thing is about the final count, the final wang. And what they do is they, these men give their, their lives to, to literally digging gold, going against the elements, going against the animals, and going against the animal nature in one another to find this, this precious metal called gold. And I love it because it's always at like 9.52, okay, right? It's always the last few minutes when you know that the commercial is going to cut it in half where they finally get all the gold and they're sitting there and they have their frying pan and they start melting the gold and you're sitting there and you're thinking there's really not that much in it and then they count like 100 ounces of gold. Now think about that. 100 ounces of gold when gold is worth about 1,400 and something dollars right now. That's a lot of loot. And all of a sudden, everyone's high-fiving and jumping up and down. And of course, the next episode, they get hardly anything. Keep it suspicious. But it's interesting, because oftentimes when we think about gold, we think that when it's pulled out of the ground, that it's in its purest form. That's not the truth. The reason they melt it down is to take away all of its impurities. And so what they do is they don't get all this gold and just kind of weigh it in one big chunk. They melt it down to get rid of the, do the dirt or the copper or any other item that may be stuck to it. So when they weigh it, it it's in its purest form. Now why am I bringing this up? Because this morning we're going to look at a beatitude where God says, Bless, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. That word blesses is actually the word for joy, for happiness. And when Jesus gave the Beatitudes, what He was saying is, I want to teach you to have the most full, joyful, happy life that any, anything in this world can't give you except for Me. And when we think about it, there's a lot of things that get in our way. But we realize that oftentimes 
Like that show, The Gold Rush, when they get it right out of the dirt. That there are some things that are stuck to us, that are impure, that aren't good, that aren't right, that aren't holy. And what they do is they sever two things. They first sever the first, and the first greatest commandment, which is love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then it also separates us from the second commandment, which is what? Love your neighbor as what? As yourself. And the problem is, the only reason we don't love our neighbors as ourselves is because we've never come to a clarity of what it means to stand in a place of purity before God. Do you hear that? The only reason we struggle in relationships with other people and where at times our dark side comes out of us is because we are standing before a living God with things that are attached to us that not only separate us from Him, but cause us to have heartache and dysfunction with other people. So let me do this. The problem is, is when we think about the heart, we think about two things. The physical heart, right? Everyone come on, put your hand on your heart. You know. And then this idea of a mystical heart. Can we really define what a heart is? Well, my heart doesn't feel it. My heart's not into it. My heart is hurting. And oftentimes, we don't fully know what it is. But, but I will say this very clearly. Over the last six years, I'm going to give you the same definition of the heart that I have purposely used whenever I have talked on what God defines as the heart. Three things. And I'm going to show them up here. It's first found in John 14.1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. There's three ways that the Bible defines the heart. And the first is our emotional bank. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Think about this. When something happens to us and there's this stirring within us in our emotions, it's actually like someone taking a, a quarter and spinning it as fast as it can and it's like our heart is not knowing what to do. It's our emotional bank. Could everyone agree with that? Second, Mark chapter 2, 8. Why do you question this in your hearts? Our intellect makes up our heart. Think about this. Our emotions and our intellect. Even when it comes on issues of faith, oftentimes are either, people are either drawn to God because of this emotional moment where God just encompasses them, or they come to an intellectual understanding that God is the Creator. And so our hearts are made up of our emotions and our intellect. But there's also another thing, and I love this, that's found in Daniel chapter 1. It says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. The third component is our will. 
our emotions, our intellect, and our wills. You know that I talk a lot about gospel identity. That what is it that we truly, when it comes to these moments of crisis, what makes us to make right decisions? What makes us to not find ourselves in bad circumstances? Or what allows us, and in, 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 here's an example. Yesterday, my, my little nephew had to go to the hospital. He hit his head playing miniature golf. And you know, parents let him sleep that night. And all of a sudden, he woke up and he was vomiting. And he wasn't vomiting because he was sick. He was vomiting because he had a head injury. And so in all these moments, it's like, it's like their hearts were just turned as fast as they could. And, and they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to handle it. And, and all of a sudden, you can get mad at you can get mad at God. You can get mad at the golf place. You can get mad at, at either spouse. You can get mad at someone. But it's in those moments that where I felt myself yesterday just having like this little like, God, be with little Evan. Please, don't let this be serious. My heart was stirred. And I had so many different emotions going through it because one, I love that little character. And two is, I know my brother and sister-in-law have had a really rough couple years. Not in their marriage, but just in life in general. And I was thinking, God, don't let their hearts be wavered. But think with me for a moment. Is it possible that what I'm saying is truly what our hearts are made up of? Our emotional bank, our intellect, and our wills. But there's also one other thing that the Bible says in Scripture about about our hearts. And and it's one thing that, that we in our society do not like to address. And it's not like this is a new thing that we haven't wanted to address. It's something that we haven't wanted to address for this whole enlightenment and into modernism and into postmodernism, which is the heart, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I mean, think about this. There are times in all of our lives where everything can be going perfect. And all of a sudden, you are thrown a curveball and you want to react in a way that is so further from who you are. And either right after you do it or right before you decide to do it, you say to yourself, Where's this coming from? What is it that's causing me to have such hatred? Such murder? What is it that, that even questions me, questions me to want to cheat or steal or lie or be deceptive or just kind of just tweak it enough that I can just get through this moment and not get caught and all along you look at your the rest of your life or the rest of your day and thinking how how perfectly it almost seemed that life was going but there was one thing in each of our lives that reveals its wickedness and its deceitfulness 
And so you have all this stuff, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. I remember when I, um, was I, was kind of, I was always a romantic kind of guy, so I can't really say like in my 20s or 30s. I remember when I was 13, and I wanted to buy my little 13-year-old girlfriend a, a gift. Now, my kids shouldn't be in here because I don't let them date until they're 16. Um, so hopefully they're not here. But Brandon already has a girlfriend. Let's give him a hand. All right, Brandon. <laughs> Let's make it all light. Isn't it funny? I'm messed up. I can go from like really serious to just goofy. I'm sorry. But we love Lara. We love Lara deeply. But I remember like sitting down with my mom, okay? And that's really weird. I'm like 13. I'm like, hey, mom. You know, my voice is really high. I want to buy Jill Columbia something for her birthday. And she's like, okay, how much do you have? And I kind of like throw the dollars and the coins on. She's like, um, I think you're going to go for 12 carats let's, or fake gold. Do you know that there's different levels of gold? 12, 14, 24, 18 carat. And we oftentimes think that 14 carat gold back in the day was like the it. If I can get a girl a 14 carat gold necklace, that would be awesome. No, it's actually not. The purest gold that you can buy in jewelry is actually 24 carats. And there's levels. Because what the jewelers do is they do two things. They want to stretch the gold to go a long way. And they also want to make a lot more money. But it's interesting. One of the reasons that my mom, as I kind of sat around the whole jewelry business, maybe if the whole pastor thing doesn't work out, I'll become a jeweler. Um, one of the things that she always told me, my grandmother told me about gold, was that 24-karat gold is very, it's very, uh, it's very fragile. It breaks very easily. So oftentimes when women have jewelry that breaks very easily, and you're like, what happened? It's usually because it's a, a higher quality of gold. And some of you ladies are here like, that's why none of my gold breaks. <laughs> but it's in this that, that all of us feel that it's okay to have certain levels of purity. And it's almost like we kind of play a game with ourselves and our emotions. And, and it's almost like we, we kind of prepare for Sunday. Like, as long as I'm really holy by Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, I'm okay. But almost as the week goes on, we go from like 24 carat to 18 carat to 14 carat to 12 carat and so on. But Jesus confronted this. I want to read you guys a parable. I'm just going to read part of it. Luke 11. 38 through 40. It's up here. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish customs. This was Jesus. He was at a religious leader's house. And so the religious leader was watching Jesus and he started getting really offended by the way that Jesus was acting. Then the Lord, Jesus, said to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish. But inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? Too often we, we try to cover up the things in our lives because we don't like what's on the inside. And what had happened in, 
in the Israelite people was God had made it very simple. Here are ten things I want you to do. And just follow these things. You see, oftentimes when we look at the Old Testament, we, we kind of blame God for all of these crazy different things that are going on and, and all of these rules and, and all these ordinances. But, but the fact of the matter was, is here's what I want to do, God said. I want to make this simple for you. I want to make life as simple as I can so you can experience full prosperity. Prosperity in a relationship with me. Prosperity in a relationship with one another prosperity as you work the land. And I want to make you a people that in such a way that when the foreigners look at you, when other tribes and other countries hear about the Israelites, all they talk about is God's hand of prosperity. But what happened was is that these leaders had actually seen the deceitfulest the deceitfulness of their hearts. And, and sometimes we keeping the main thing, the main thing can be so hard because sometimes the things that are simplest to do are actually the best thing to do to deal with our stuff and our issues. And what had happened was the Israelites were saying, that's too easy. And actually, it's so easy, it's so hard. It's so hard to, to not covet my neighbor's, my neighbor's stuff to not become envious, to not feel greed, to not get jealous. It's so hard to to really keep my heart focused on God. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make all these rules and regulations that if I kind of put them in place, that maybe they will make faith easier. And so by the time that Jesus got to this passage in Luke chapter 11, they had over 4,000 other laws and rules that they were abiding by. If you took a carpet off the ground, let's say your wife said, hey, can you sweep the carpet, since they didn't have vacuums, can you sweep the carpets and just kind of roll it up and kind of push it in the other room? If you did that, you were sinning. You had to go to the temple and confess your sins. And so even Jesus on the Sabbath, what He was doing was He would heal people and say, you're sinning, you're sinning, you're sinning. You're a sinner because you did work today. And Jesus is like, I'm not actually doing work, I'm actually worshiping God. And so all of these rules were put in place because what they were trying to do was not deal with a deeper issue. Why is loving God so hard? Why is... Treating my family with respect so difficult? Why is it so easy to just feel this, this, this desire to covet other people's stuff? Because from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, God was trying to get to the heart of the matter, which is that our hearts are to be focused on Him. And as we focus on Him, what He does is He begins to deal with the things that are far from Him and allows us to draw close to Him so that He can take them away. One of the hardest things is that when we become believers, is that all of a sudden, when I became a Christian, I had this like radical change. Just boom! Boom! radically changed forever i am changed i am changed i mean i had some crazy things in my life i mean i've told you some crazy things but there's certain things that i'm not allowed to tell you okay and there's certain times when dave fowler's sitting back there and he's like don't say it because he was part of all those things 
Just being really dumb teenage boys. And when I came to Jesus, I had this literally this transformation that when people actually met me five, six, seven years later, and I told them my story, my coming to Jesus moment, there's like, there's no way you were that guy. I'm like, yeah, I was. I said, how did you do it? I said, I gave my heart to Jesus. And then what? I gave my heart to Jesus. Whenever he revealed to me to deal with, I just began to deal with. And the sad thing is, over time I saw certain attitudes and postures creep back in my life. That I'm like, I thought he changed me. I thought I was different. And God would say to me, Rob, your heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. You've opened doors to let anger or resentment or hatred back in. There was times in my life that I almost had to have another come to Jesus moment. Like, Jesus, wow, you took some major things out of my life. I feel like this one's even bigger. Can you take this out? And what happens is, is that we don't recognize, like, what is it? What is it that's trying to attack us? What is it that causes this battle between our hearts and God? So let me read three things that 1 John says. 1 John 2.16 defines the world as this. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. The lust of the flesh. The things that I want. The things that I own. The person that I want to be. The lust of the eyes. Seeing what other people have and thinking that that I'm entitled to that. And that's one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things about this area. Yesterday we had a birthday party for for Lukey. He uh, became a tweener. He's 12. And um, a friend of mine has a massive house, 15,000 square feet. And uh, he doesn't live in New Jersey anymore. And so I'm the caretaker of the house. I have a little bedroom that I live in, and I kind of make the, no, not like that. I stop by every couple weeks, make sure the water's running, flush the toilets, do all these things, and it's got this great pool. Water squirts out all the way, everywhere, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I grew up in this area. I grew up in Allendale, Upper Saddle River. I grew up in a very affluent home. Um, so these things, at times, will pull my soul, but at the same time, it's not the things that, that I feel like I have to have. And so we had family there and people that have never been there before, they just walked around like, ooh, ah. They were like literally drunk. Not physically, but figuratively speaking, drunk and being awed by this mansion. And I remember someone walking out of the house with me and it's like they wouldn't be quiet. Oh, they just kept talking about every little room. How many bedrooms? How many this? How many that? How many that? Nah, nah. And I'm like, stop. Let me tell you about this man. He's a godly man. He's a man who doesn't get wrapped up in this stuff. And so honestly, how my house is to me, his house is to him. 
And it's so easy for our hearts, let's be honest, that our hearts can be pulled away from the things that God values most, which is Him, and that others would be able to know Him as well. The parable says this, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. I wear glasses because I have astigmatism. And so it's funny, I can't wear contacts because my, the way my eye is shaped that I can't, when I put it on, I feel like there's literally like, like grains in my eyes. And so the way that it's shaped, if, if you have astigmatism, you know this, it's all really the degree of astigmatism. And so for, for so long, like I could see, but I, there's ways that I couldn't fully see perfectly. Or like reading growing up was really, really difficult for me. And I remember when I finally got to the age that I decided to wear glasses, that, that things became clear. Not clear. And the funny thing is, being such a boy, I still find myself going like this. I'll show up to work and Omar will be like, dude, where's your glasses? I'm like, oh, I just didn't wear them today. How do you see? Well, I just kind of make my way around. I can see, but I just have struggles seeing different things. Well, don't you need to study for your sermon? Yeah, I'll just kind of fight through it. And then for like two weeks, you'll see me wearing these. And that's so much like our souls. Like, that's a really simple illustration. But sometimes the simpler the illustration is, the more profound it is. Remember what God said? He says, here's 10 things to follow. I'm going to make them really simple for you. So let's make this illustration really simple. When we allow God to grab a hold of our hearts... He changes our prescription. That we see the reality of who we are in light of Him. We actually see how we truly treat our spouses. We truly see how we make judgment calls, both personally as a family, and even in the midst of society. That as my heart is drawn to God and knowing His Word, my heart is able to see the things that I need to deal with. And not that I want to deal with, but that God wants to come in and take out of me and say, let me take this out forever. Let me read a little portion of, of Psalm 119. I'm just going gonna, gonna to wrap it up with this. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When you read Psalm 119, I want to challenge you this week, read Psalm 119. It's literally the story of a young man. It's a, it's a true story of, of, of David who is journeying during a point of his life that you can read the trials, the temptations, and the pull of what he was going through. And throughout Psalm 119, 
He always comes back to this idea of God dealing with His heart through the presence of the Word. Because the Word, listen to this, okay? The Word is our accountability. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and advocate. Do you hear me? When you look at the Word, you are saying, wow, what am I doing? Or wow, I'm changing. But we in our own strength, like the Israelites, do not have the ability or power to do that. The only power and ability is the Holy Spirit. And everyone right now should probably say, Amen. Seriously, God sent His Son to fulfill His Word to give us His Holy Spirit so that we now can become sons and daughters of the Most High and His Holy Spirit lives in us who changes us and molds us and convicts us and gives us joy, and gives us happiness, and gives us purity of heart. Amen? And so when you look at the passage of the Pharisee, the dilemma that they were struggling with is, they were not living in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was saying, I am the embodiment of God. I am the embodiment of the Holy Spirit. And when I leave, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give this to you. Do you know when I know that I'm truly a follower of Jesus? When I recognize the things of this world don't bring me joy. But the things of God do. I have these pulls in my soul just like you. I can triumph, Thruxton, cafe racer, ace, I could tell you that. Such a petty thing. Sometimes I just go and I just go to the store and sit on the motorcycle. I have pulls just like you. But I know my experience of life that God's presence is all I need. And it's His presence that changes my heart. When I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with my heart issues, I see God clearer. Do you ever have that moment when God really dealt with something and you sat, you sat in this place of humility that it was almost like God was in the room like a friend? We're coming to the communion table. And for this whole week, we actually proclaimed 
that Jesus is the lover of our souls. That Jesus is the one who can change our hearts. Jesus is the one who, who wants us to see Him in a clear and intimate way. Let me just tell you something, grown-ups, adults. I think we need to go back to having a childlike faith and a childlike heart to believe simply and to love justly. Too often our, our grown-up stuff what the world has told us, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life have built walls that tell us who God, who tell us who God is rather than God speaking to our hearts to tell us who He is and the life He longs for us to have. Blessed are those whose hearts are pure. For they shall see God. Anyone want to see God this morning? Bam. Let's come to the communion table. I want to invite the band to come up. And what we're going to do this morning is, for, for those who call the plant their home, they know the routine. For those who are visiting, um, every Sunday we do communion. Every Sunday. Why? Because the Bible says that do this often. And often is once a week. And we're going to go into a, a short little time of worship. Two songs. You can come up right away and take the communion. But allow this to say, just say, Jesus, what's thrown my heart off? Are my emotions? Are my intellect? Is my will? Am I just being deceived? And just allow this to be a gospel moment that Jesus, I come back to you in purity. Knowing that I'm not pure, but you are the one who makes me pure. And just finish that up by saying, Holy Spirit, fill my heart. Fill my heart with your presence. Be my teacher. Be my advocate. Be the lover of my soul that I may not only know you, but my very presence into everywhere I go makes you known. Amen?